Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Experts Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and I'm being joined by my co-host, David Blackman, who is the editor of Shell Magazine. And our guest today is Texas Railroad Commission Chairman Christy Craddock, along with one of our favorite associations, the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, Jason Modlin, the president. And uh, we want to try to get down to the bottom of what went wrong in the Texas snowstorm this past week, and um, are there any lessons learned, and how can we, uh, you know, make sure that we do not have a problem like this again? So we're really interested in uh, getting a hold or talking to Christy Craddock, Chairman Craddock, as well as uh, Jason Modlin. But before I bring them on, I'd like to also uh, welcome you to the show and call in if you have a, a question on what happened. Um, we have received numerous Facebook posting emails wanting uh, for some answers or, or wanting answers, if you will, to what happened in the snowstorm. So the phone number to call in and join the show is 866-308-8867. Or if you're in San Antonio, you can call 210-308-8867. Uh, you might be prepared to wait for a little bit. We already have phone lines full. And so, uh, so obviously a lot of people want to talk about this issue. But I'd also like to encourage you to look at the latest issue of Shell Magazine, in which our cover is the latest newly elected Railroad Commissioner, Jim Wright. We were able to catch up with him, his vision. Um, and so if you want to learn about his story, you're welcome to go to shellmag.com. Again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com, and learn all about him. I cannot stress how important the Texas Railroad Commission is to the state of Texas. There are three elected uh, officials, and today we're being joined by Chairman Craddock, Christy Craddock. Chairman Craddock, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks, Kim. Good, morning, or good afternoon, I should say, and David, both of you. Thank y'all for having me. We're real excited uh, to talk to you. Lots of questions have come in, and, uh, and, and, and it's really important that our listeners understand how important your role is in oil and gas and then what happened. I'd also like to welcome on Jason Modlin, the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. We want to hear what the association is saying, what their operators are saying as well. So, Jason, welcome to the show uh, this week as well. Thank you, Kim, and thank you, David, and Chairman Craddock. It's great to be with you. So, Let's get started with, um, we know that we had uh, about 4.5 million customers uh, without power on the peak, which was February 16th. And um, obviously, we all went through an enormous uh, snowstorm. Some people lost power for days. Some people lost uh, water. Water pipes broke. At the center of it, though, was uh, Texas not leading uh, in the energy uh, area, if you will, even though it's huge in Texas. And there were some uh, companies that kind of stood out, not the Texas Railroad Commission, but other agencies and, and, and 501c3-4s, if you will, I'm sorry, 501c4s, that um, also kind of led what happened here in Texas. One of them is the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, better known as ERCOT. Uh, Chairman Craddock, Please break this down for us of, first of all, what happened? 
because I think that uh, some of the listeners have wrote in saying that it seems like natural gas is being blamed for the situation. So I want to hear it from your side of what do you believe happened and uh, what were the solutions that you guys did um, almost immediately to try to rectify the situation? Well, thanks for having us. And I think there's a lot of things we're still learning and data we're still looking at. But from from the perspective of the Railroad Commission, our priority is to make sure that gas still flows and we re uh, did an order and put an emergency order out Friday, so 10 days ago almost now, to make sure that residentials and schools and churches and human needs came first. Second, your local gas utility. So if you had gas flowing to your house, we wanted to make sure that gas continued to flow to your house. And interestingly, we only lost about 800, 1,800 people went down because of pressure, and I think most of those People are back up at this at this point. We're down to a few hundred, I think, who've not had natural gas restored to their house. So that was a priority for us. And then our second priority is obviously flowing, trying to flow gas to these gas uh, power plants. So we talk about power, and we're part of the solution, I believe, at the Railroad Commission trying to get gas there. But if you go look, and I'm going to pick on West Texas for a minute because it got cold first. So West Texas started getting was below freezing for eight days of this past week. And for safety reasons, for both operators out there as well as road conditions, some wells began to be shut in for a short period. And what we recognized on all of us and that recognizes we needed to get the gas flowing again to into the state, across the state. And so there is a group of of companies and regulators, Jason's group on the call as well, that we all, that's called Texas Energy Reliability Council, really came to bear after 2011 to become very important. And those, those, that call, we daily call, uh, started about what, 10 days ago, I think, to make sure that we had pipelines flowing and gas flowing as much as possible. We took a lot of gas out of storage in the state. And then Monday evening, Tuesday morning, we recognized that while a, while some gas uh, wells were frozen off, that there was an opportunity to get them back up and get going. And so that's what we did starting really Tuesday. But what we now realize and appreciate, and probably didn't understand that didn't understand that they didn't understand this, uh, ERCOT didn't understand that we had to have. Power that flows into the oil field so we can get our uh, gas wells and make sure the pipelines still flow as well. We rely on electricity in the, in the oil fields, whether it's to make sure you're heating those gas wells back up, that you've got compressors going, that um, your your electronics are going. And so as soon as uh, TxDOT was getting out and local counties were getting out to uh clear roads and try to, we started trying to get people back out in the oil patch. And, you know, we really, I believe, I'd, I'd like to say bravo to those people who work in the oil patch. They really got the gas up and going pretty quickly for us again and broke the local log jam of what do we do, what do we do, we don't have any good options. And guess what? The oil and gas industry did have good options and got gas back up once they had electricity back in those oil fields. So I want to applaud them for what they did. 
So I want to uh, bring on Bruce Fullen with, uh, he's on line four. I know he specifically had um, contacted us and said he had a specific question for you. So I want to try to get to the callers because I don't know how long we, we get to keep you on our show. But uh, Bruce, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Uh, can you hear me clearly? Yep. What's your uh, question sure. for Chairman Craddock and, and maybe Jason sure. David? Uh, Jason uh, and uh, Christine, please, uh, thank you very much for spending the time to explain these things to us today. Um, you know, when you look at the industry, um, there's a few things in the nat gas sector that are kind of being misinformed out there in the news, and I kind of wanted to clarify a few, few facts. One is when you break down the whole supply chain is what really is being scrutinized right now, because when you look back at the end result, and that's the consumers that four and a half million or without power, and now we have 14 million people that have water issues, that you've got to really look at everything from that base source, uh, whether it's nat gas, solar, nuclear, coal. Then you have to take a look at the manufacturing or the power generation. The third part would probably be storage. Um, you know, there's not a lot of good options for storage of power out there. And then the transmission lines itself, you know, whether it's through the aluminum wire systems or through the copper. And when you, when you have to sit there and pull these things apart, um, you're right, a lot of things did happen. And one of the roles of the, of, of the Railroad Commission is to go ahead and do curtailment. So I actually have two questions that are on curtailment, and both are a little bit difficult at this point to answer because I agree not all the data is in there. One of them is, um, Christine, through your area that you are partly responsible, of, of course, for putting those curtailment orders and actions out to the public. And what does that mean? That means take it off major uh, industrial manufacturing, the refineries around the Houston, about 30 per, 30% of the U.S. Gulf Coast uh, took the refineries offline. And those orders were really done pretty well and pretty effective. Some of the orders, though, that seemed a little conflicting between the governor and your area may have been around, for example, exports of uh, uh, LNG or exports of gas in the area during this amount of time or when it was going on. And one, I wanted you to address the curtailment issues, uh, which you guys have done, because I think you did a great job overall re removing power or removing gas where it needed to be applied most critically, and that would be to the residents of their homes and to, to the generation. The second part, though, is I want to go back a little bit in history and time. Um, you know, about a year ago, um, we were talking about when the oil prices dropped really, really low. And as a result, there was a decision to be made not to curtail oil and gas in Texas. As a result of it, we have had bankruptcies. We've had gas and oil wells that have been consolidated or taken offline. Do you think in retrospective um, that was the correct decision? Because wouldn't that also impact the energy security that we have now today in the system? Hey, Bruce and Christy, we're going to have to do a hard break real quick, so I, don't, I want Christy to have an opportunity to respond to that. Bruce, don't go anywhere because we'll probably need some more discussion from you as well. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. If you want to call in and join the show, the number is 866-308-8867 or 210-308-8867. We'll be right back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio.
The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We're being joined by Chairman Christy Craddock, the Texas Railroad Commission, as well as Jason Modulin, the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, and my co-host and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. Chairman Craddock, before the break, Bruce had two really kind of uh, technical questions for you to answer, and I'm wondering um, if um, let's get back on that topic because. It, it is. It was. Um, I think uh, when you look back and you see, okay, lessons learned. Uh, where do you stand with the questions that Bruce asked you? Well, it's been a heck of a year for the for the railroad commission, the oil and gas industry. We, I don't think we would have, in my lifetime, known we were going to see two unprecedented events in the past year. So, right. uh, Bruce, thanks for the question. And so I'm going to start with where we are today as far as the weather event first. And so when we're talking about curtailment right now, and by the way, the order that we put in place with the amendment to uh, make sure we directed gas to gas power plants as a number two uh, priority, that order has been in place and has been used since about 1972-73. David Blackman may remember the exact year better than I. So it's not a new order, and it's used, that order has been used multiple times through the last 30, 40 years um, when we have weather events. And we want to make sure always that we're prioritizing Texas uh, customers, residentials, and people first. And so when we have weather events like that, whether they're hot or cold, actually, we make sure that we prioritize people first. And so that's where that curtailment order came from. And again, we were we got a phone call last Thursday and asked that we put gas power plants a little bit higher on that list because we're now recognizing in this state that about 50% of the people in this state are basically are on electric only and the other 50% are on gas or maybe propane. So we want to make wanted to make sure heat was and electricity were getting to people through those gas power plants as much as possible. Uh, so that that's that's where this order this past week came from and state will remain in place at this point until Tuesday is what we have it slated to do so. But as gas continues to get back into the system and gets processed, then we've got priority three, four, five, six, and maybe seven. There's more priorities. So those commercial companies and industrial companies begin to come back online as gas becomes available for the, in the different regions of the state. And so uh, we continue to prioritize 
human needs first and foremost, but again, we want to make sure uh, companies and businesses begin to get back up as well. And as of a call this morning, there seems to be supply to be able to do that in most regions in the state, and that's beginning. Uh, but I want to go back to last year where we are. You asked about curtailment. I, I wouldn't call that curtailment that we had a conversation about. Some of you remember if you listen to Kim's show pretty and this show pretty regularly. Um, that we talked about proration and had that debate last spring, um, and that was a, a conversation whether we should limit uh, people's ability, operators' ability to produce oil or natural gas in the state, and whether. Uh, we should uh, whether we should be in a price setting and supply be in charge of how much people can produce uh, companies can produce. I think that's a different conversation than we are today. Um, obviously, weather is about safety. Uh, last year was a lot more about economics and whether we should we should regulate uh, supply or whether the free market should take care of that. And so. Um, I think that's a different conversation, and yes, I would say, based on where we got to from negative 37, that I hope I never see again in my life, the price of the WCI last April, versus where we are today, that it's in the 50s, or, uh, in the 50s, uh, I think this morning, or it was on Friday. You know, I think that we, as a regulatory agency, made a good decision last last spring, so um, I do think there's two different conversations, and like I said, the curtailment for weather is always about human life and safety for people, and I think that's a real pri- should be a real priority for us first and foremost. But I appreciate the question, and Jason may have something to add to that too. Well, I'll just add that it was exactly the right decision uh, last month. Dean Foreman, who's the head economist at the American Petroleum Institute, looked at the state of Oklahoma, which did implement. Uh, proration for its gas production. Um, and the state of Oklahoma has lost considerable market share um, in, in gas production um, because of that order in place. Uh, uh, simply buyers went elsewhere to go find that gas. And that would have been the effect here in Texas if there was uh, a, a curtailment in place that resulted in a loss of market share. It would have hurt operators uh, even more um, uh, in this disastrous year with COVID. Um, so it was absolutely the right decision that the railroad commissions and commissioners made. David, hey, Commissioner, want- uh, I've got a question. I uh, one thing that's really frustrating to me about this whole situation this year is, uh, of course, as you mentioned, we just kind of went through this exercise ten years ago after that big freeze in 2011, and and in one big piece of of the controversy that came out of that was the fact that the rolling blackouts ERCOT implemented during that big freeze event. Uh, a lot of them ended up shutting down some big compressor stations out in West Texas and freezing them up because they didn't have power. And if I understood your answer correctly, that, I mean, we thought we had taken care of that uh, after the 2011 freeze. Did I understand you to say that that happened again this time? You know, it did. And so oh my I God. think that so thank you for recognizing that electricity and, and gas go together. I think that's yeah. what... Uh, hang on, guys. We're going to... Chris, uh, Chairman Craddock, hang on one second. We do have to take a hard break. When we come back, we're going to get back on this topic. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. If you want to call in, the phone number is 210-308-8867.
Remember this name, Oilfield Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission and Jason Modulin, President of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Um, I'm going to pass this back to David, my co-host and Chairman Craddock, because we had a question for you um, on lessons learned from 2011. Uh, In 2011. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So why don't you ask it again in case somebody missed it, because I think it's the, the, one of the challenges we've had this week. Yeah. <laughs> and this I have to tell you, this drives me crazy. Uh, I was a lobbyist in 2011, the last time we had one of these big freeze, and, and uh, worked on the follow-up after that. And uh, one issue that, that arose in 2011 was the fact that the rolling blackouts uh, uh, enacted then by ERCOT, uh, you know, unintentionally, uh, shut down a bunch of big compressor stations that maintain pressure on natural gas pipelines out in West Texas and froze them up as a result. And so the gas didn't get the power stations, and that was part of the issue. And, I mean, the one reform I thought we had firmly fixed uh, was to prevent that from happening again. But, but uh, as I understand your earlier answer, uh, that actually did happen again this time. So I wanted to give you a chance to expand on that. Well, I think the biggest challenge we've had, I bet Jason will have more specifics after I answer this, but I think the biggest challenge we've had this past week is reminding people that we're all very integrated. So, you know, if you if you can't get if you can't get your crews out because the roads are, are blocked, you know, have snow on them, so that becomes an issue, right? But mm-hmm. um, we had road, but. If you don't have power going into gas processing plants, going into the field any place, then you can't move gas because you're you're shut down. And so some of these places rely on solar. Well, solar obviously was not working this past week, and some of these people rely on diesel. On diesel, but you know at certain temperatures, diesel freezes, and so right. that became a challenge for us this past week. So. That was where finally on Tuesday, we had, I had a conversation with the PUC and said, look, our people want to go back out and open up the gas wells, but 
we don't have power. And and the conversation continued. And they said, we don't understand. I went, if you don't open up, put power back into the oil fields, we cannot get the gas flowing again. And I will say this, by that, by Tuesday afternoon, the uh, electric grid transmission people, distribution people finally understood that for the most part um, and started, and we started sending specific coordinates to them so they turn the gas back, the power back <laughs> so the gas could start flowing. Literally specific coordinates. So, David, I think it's one of those things we didn't learn or didn't address as well as we all should have because I thought yeah. it was like you fixed, you know, we we sit, a lot of us sit on a call every day and share where we've got constraints and, and can we move gas here? Here's where our power grid is for the day. But I, for some reason, that connection just wasn't made until this week. And so um, it's unfortunate. And I think we will all learn again, I hope. Um, look, I didn't have power this week either. I'm one of those people that was out, you know, yeah, for me too. four days. So. <laughs> Um, so I, 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 I would have done, I'll do anything to get the power back on. And thankfully my water didn't freeze, but I'm not sure if Jason has water back yet. And so I think it's serious for all of us and um, to really do the, think through what we can learn again and really implement what we learn. But I think it's also important, and thank y'all for the opportunity today, for people to understand that the natural gas world did our job when we were supposed to, and it, and we kept people warm, which was our job, but exactly. it wasn't getting all the way upstream into these power plants and into our houses, and that's a real challenge for us, how, we, how the industry continues to communicate in all parts of the mm-hmm. power grid to figure out how to work together. Chairman Craddock, I know we will be losing you because you have a very important job. Thank you for stopping in and answering a few questions on what went wrong and what went right in our Texas windstorm. When we get back though, Jason, I do wanna ask, what is it gonna take for us to learn this lesson? Again, Chairman Craddock, thank you for joining us on our show today. We look forward to having you back in the future. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. Hey you, do you wanna join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention, what is it? Teak is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free, no charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I wanna join, where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash Teak and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. 
back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jason Modulin, president of the Texas Lines of Energy Producers. And I know that we have two, three lines still full, guys. So, Jason, do we have a quick answer of how are we going to really learn a lesson to not have this repeat again? Because it seems like we already had the formula back in 2011, and here we go again with not only did it break down, people forgot it, didn't document it. Do we need legislation now? And what needs to happen to where we're better prepared for the next time? Well, it's a great question, Kim. I think uh, uh, first to go back to some of Chairman Craddock's comments, uh, I mean, less than 2,000 meters losing gas is phenomenal. If you go back 10 years ago uh, in 2011, we had over 50,000 meters lose gas service and gas really made the difference for half of Texas uh, in keeping their homes warm. Uh, and then you saw just an incredible surge of natural gas to meet the power demand that we had. Uh, and sometimes it, it was supplying nearly 80% of the power uh, to the state of Texas. And, and the Wall Street Journal's put out some great numbers this week of 450% increases in gas utilization. So, we, so, uh, they, so they did their job, the natural gas did their needs. job. Absolutely. There are incredible challenges, though, is exactly what David highlighted in that we did have some interruptions at gas processing facilities, and that resulted in less gas getting out of the field. Um, that is a combination of a variety of things, whether it's winterization um, and kind of the wellheads freezing off. But we also had roads closed. We had telecom issues as a result of power loss. And so it was a combination of factors. Um, but but absolutely, there will be some learning uh, from this. The legislature is going to meet this week. The governor has already convened a number of meetings over the weekend and then into this next week to see where do we need to focus on reliability and resiliency. When we rely heavily on renewables, that does a, a phenomenal thing for us in reducing our cost each month. Um, but when we have big interruptions like this, particularly when it's very, very cold or very, very hot, uh, we have to rely back on, on base load power, and that's coming from natural gas, coal, and nuclear. And the cold challenges that we had this week, we saw one reactor go offline in, in the South Texas nuclear project. Uh, we had coal interruptions significantly throughout the week, uh, and we also had impacts to natural gas, whether it was winterization or, in some cases, pressure issues. Uh, because we made a priority to get that gas into homes mm -hmm. um, uh, as opposed at first and then to uh, electric generation facilities. So the legislature is absolutely going to take this up again. Um, and it's a question for the industry as well as how do we continue to build resiliency and, and, and increase the amount of infrastructure that we have in the state to get gas out of the field, get it to these storage facilities for our, our uh, distribution companies to have uh, the salt reserves and and the ability to draw that near urban areas um, and continue to do so. Um, uh, multiple times this week, Chairman Craddock was quoted in these governor uh, press conference uh, of our gas withdrawals into our homes. Uh, it's maximum withdrawal from our storage facilities around the state. So we need to make sure that those storage facilities are robust um, and that we have the ability to get the gas out of the field and where it's needed. Well, this certainly was a debacle. There were many, can many I, people. Can I add one thing to that? Sure. To what Jason said, I, I think it's important for everyone to understand that uh, one, one fact, and this is according to ERCOT's own data, 
between midnight on the 14th, when pretty much everyone still had power, and midnight on the 17th, uh, on Wednesday, when four and a half million Texans were without power, our state lost 63% of the generation from wind power and virtually 100% of generation from solar power. That's ERCOT's own data. Uh, at the same time, we did lose uh, something over 20% of natural gas generation, you know, total generation, but that had already cranked up significantly in the days prior to that, and some coal and some nuclear as well. But the, but the reality is, in a situation like this, the renewable power was fairly useless to us. And so I, I just, I keep seeing these reports in some of the newspapers in this state, blaming, trying to blame this all well, on natural gas, yeah. and it's just, it's nonsense. It's right. abject nonsense. It's not. And, we're, and David, that's the, that's the policy conversation that, that certainly the president wants to take us towards, is he wants sure. to get rid of fossil fuels in the next 15 years. And what does that wind and solar need to be at in order to close that gap? And, and it needs to be far higher than what's currently installed. Uh, to make sure that it's reliable and resilient. Um, and, and what made the difference uh, this winter, uh, this winter storm was the natural gas in homes to provide pa to provide that heating element. Uh, and then also All natural right. gas being able to surge uh, and meet the demand uh, during these cold temperatures. Uh, renewables don't have the ability to surge. And so how do you meet that need uh, with base load power? And, and that's really, uh, it, it, it was on the back of natural gas uh, this past week. Yeah, and everybody needs to understand that we haven't built any baseload in this state in 10 years. Right. Okay? All we built in this state is solar and wind. And, and that's kind of troubling, but you know, I think that's why our show is immensely popular is because this is a very difficult topic to understand. But now that Texans lived it and lived through it and saw, okay, this was your, you know, uh, renewables that are, not so reliable depending on the circumstance that they're in. When we get back from break, I want to bring Tom Tamark in on the line. He actually is from California, and I'm sure he's going to have some very interesting things to say because as we were talking, preparing for the show, he was pretty much saying, you know, we've been talking about unreliables versus reliables, and of course the media in many ways props up this, um, I guess because it's the... the, the uh, the great future uh, resource that, that they want us to have is solar and wind. But at the same time, what we just experienced, um, many people died because they didn't have access to heat for days and water. And, and it, this is just unbelievable when we are Texas, the state of completely full with oil and gas. This, you know, we should have been watching this a little bit better. You're listening to an oil patch radio show. If you want to call into the show, it's 210-308-8867, but I will warn you that our phone lines are packed, and so we may or may not get to you at this time of the show. If you're on the line, please stay on the line. We will get back to you um, as soon as we come back from break. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., 
and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. And we're back. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jason Modulin, the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, and my co-host David Blackman, who's also the editor of Shell Magazine. I'd like to get to line two, Tom Tamark. And Tom, I appreciate you waiting so long. I apologize. This show is just full and packed with a lot of questions. Are you there? And what is your question for the show today? Well, I am here. Can you hear me? Perfect. Yes. Okay. Well, I think that um, a lot of people may or may not understand the fact that Texas is unique, maybe because of its secession uh, isolation uh, tendency, so to speak. But under ERCOT, Texas is apart uh, from the Western and the region uh, power grids. So you effectively are isolated in terms of generation capacity within the state of uh, Texas. Mm-hmm. So in terms of my question, uh, we mentioned the 2011 situation. Um, in that instance, you were actually able to uh, import uh, power, if I recall, from Mexico. I think there are three interconnecting ties uh, from the country of Mexico. So why wasn't that process used uh, this time around? So that's the first question. And the second question is, when I look at the um, Texas uh, generation capacity versus its annual consumption in terawatt hours, I find that there's about a 20% uh, reserve. So when we looked at what happened with both the loss of one coal plant and the diminishment of gas, um, and then you rely on uh, renewables for 7%, Um, The heart of any public utility network is what we call dispatchable power. Dispatchable power, meaning power that's available under relatively short notice on demand. Solar does not fill that need. Secondly, solar really is not cost effective when you take away the government and the ratepayer-based subsidies. Um, So I'm wondering why Texas chose... Uh, to actually uh, rely on uh, up to 7% of their total capability uh, coming from these renewables. Thank you, Tom. All right, guys. Yeah, I think uh, the short answer is we probably did buy uh, power from Mexico um, as well as the Southwest Power Pool, uh, the the Mid-Continent Power Pool. We probably imported it uh, uh, this week. There's no doubt about that. Um, Those are D.C. lines, um, and so they're a little limited in the amount of power that we can actually get into the state. Um, uh, We're typically exporting power uh, through those through those lines, but but we probably did uh, uh, purchase quite a bit of power this week 
through those lines. I guess on the solar question, you know, when it's uh, summertime and, and we certainly have a lot of sun here in Texas, um, that that solar uh, allows for rates to be considerably lower uh, for rate payers. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Those types of costs are borne by somebody and they're borne by taxpayers. Uh, uh, and that's true for wind. Um, uh, those, those costs are borne elsewhere um, by taxpayers. It's just not in the form of, of right. rate pay. They're well hidden. Let me bring, let me try to get to Joe. Joe, all, from the Woodlands, we all know Joe. They, he's a fan hey, of the Joe. show. Joe, what's yeah, your question? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Hi, nice Hi. talking to everybody Hi. again. Thank you for uh, waiting. Actually, uh, Tom hit uh, my question right on the nose about uh, basically what percentage of our energy grid is shared with other states or other regions and vice versa, how much of other regions energy grid comes into Texas. Like, for example, Entergy, based in Louisiana, sends energy into at least East Texas up to about I-45 and eastward. And that really was not affected that much by uh, the freeze compared to the rest of Texas. So that is basically my question, continuing yeah, that's on right. with Bob that's right, Joe. ERCOT is not the entire state of Texas, so uh, it, it doesn't have El Paso. Uh, parts of the Panhandle uh, uh, rely on other power pools, and then East Texas uh, um, and, and really Beaumont um, uh, relies on, on that eastern uh, power pool. Um, it, and we did see some some interconnect uh, this week, um, but certainly it, you go back to um, El Paso, they're relying on some big nuclear facilities and some big coal facilities uh, to make sure that they had that baseload power. And look, this was a big storm. Uh, we're continuing to see outages uh, towards the east. Uh, that limited some of our ability to import power uh, from some of our eastern neighbors because they were dealing with the same challenges. Um, and that's really some of the policy conversation taking place. Uh, the governor's been asked multiple times this week, why don't we connect uh, with the western and eastern grids? And, and what that would result in is likely higher prices uh, borne by Texans uh, throughout the year as we're subsidizing other parts of the country um, uh, with third generation. Guys, I want to, one final question. Is there a simple solution of lessons learned for this for the Texas legislators this session? We're in it right now. What kind of bills will we see coming out? Yeah, no simple solution, Kim. Uh, uh, this will be a very deep dive, uh, both by our federal regulators, but also state regulators to determine what went wrong, where were some of the failures, uh, certainly some of the winterization reports that have been required for the past 10 years. Uh, uh, there's going to be a hard look at those to determine why those uh, either weren't up to snuff or, or failed uh, in this particular circumstance. Um, and, and no simple solution uh, is going to be there. Um, but those three comments I made at the beginning, resiliency, infrastructure, and reliability, are going to continue to be priorities for the legislature to look back on to see where did we fail and how can we build on top of those. David. Yeah, and I, I'd, uh, I, I, I just want to add that um, you know, we fell into a trap after the 2011 storm. I say we, I'm talking about everyone in a position of authority in Texas uh, on the pretense that that was a so-called black swan event a once-in-a-lifetime freak weather event. Well, here we are 10 years later. We just had our second one in 10 years now. 
okay? It's not a black swan. It's not a freak weather event. We have weather events like this in Texas, very similar, just about once a decade on average if you go about back and study it. And so I got, I got pretty angry late last week when I heard a spokesman for the PUC and former Governor Perry talking about this event as if it was some once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's not. And, and I think we all, it's incumbent on all of us uh, here in Texas to communicate with our policymakers, our, our state reps, our state senators, members of the PUC, members of ERCOT, if you can find any of the board members here in Texas. Uh, Get involved. And, and let them know we're not going to tolerate right. a do-nothing response right. to this, right. which is apparently what we had after the 2011 storm. Right. The you time know, for doing nothing is over. This is a real thing. People lost their lives because of it, exactly. and we need to fix it. Thank you guys for being on the show. And, you know, you can pretty much bank that you will see some letters coming out from, uh, you know, RT, Texas Energy Advocates Coalition, mandating and requiring they do something. Thank you guys for joining the show. That's all the time we have. And thank you for listening to and the Oil Patch Radio Show. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from 